Hey there, some big news from High Performance. Damien and I have written another book. It's called How to Change Your Life. And over the last few years, as we've spoken to hundreds of Olympic athletes, billionaire founders and leading coaches, we've noticed they have an incredible skill to change themselves. And How to Change Your Life is going to introduce to you the five simple steps that take you from where you are to where you want to be. It's everything we've learned from the incredible guests that we've spoken to. It's never too late to change. And this book will show you how to do it. How to Change Your Life is available to pre-order in hardback, ebook, and audiobook now. Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, the award-winning podcast that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jake Humphrey, and alongside Professor Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, successes, and struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up today. I'm big, I'm ginger, I talk half-decent English, half-decent French. I'm from Belgium, working in France, and I'm going to get things wrong deal with it. I pay to stand on a perfect football pitch, freshly mown grass, with a ball, 15, 18 players or, or more, and a set of cones. I'd pay to do that. I'm pretty sure I would have asked any one of those players to run at that brick wall and smash their head through it. They would have done it because, you know, that's what the team needed. You know, every person in the world says they hate losing games, but I actually feel proper, proper shit when I've lost the game. So today we welcome to High Performance the manager of Stade de Rhin, Will Still. Now, Stade de Rhin play in Ligue 1 in France, one of Europe's top five leagues. Will is the youngest manager in any big league in European football. He's 30 years old. Not only that, he started in management at 24. Can you imagine that? And he went from coaching the Preston under-14s team to taking his side up against Lionel Messi in just 10 years. It's such a huge leap in such a short space of time and he's had to defy expectations. He's had to prove people wrong. He's had to deal with setbacks. He's had to have the courage of his convictions. And I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me from this conversation with Will Still, his ability to make really big level-headed decisions when the stakes are high and the opportunity in front of him is huge. I don't think there's anyone managing in football like Will Still. There's certainly not a manager in the top five leagues in Europe that's going to come on a podcast like this and talk in the way that Will Still did. You're going to be surprised and I can't thank Will and his family for trusting us enough to come on and have this conversation with us. And I tell you, I don't know where Will goes from here. He's had a brilliant start to the season once again at Stade de Rhin. Wherever he goes next, whether it's the Premier League or somewhere else, I know he's a big West Ham fan, they are going to be lucky to have him. He may well be managing his country one day. He is that impressive and he has such an incredible story. Here he is, the youngest top flight manager in Europe on the High Performance Podcast, Will Still. 
Welcome to High Performance. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What is high performance? Do you know how long and hard I've thought about this question? To me, it's winning. Because you can't have high performance if you don't win, or if you're not leaning or tending towards something. And to me, or the job that we're in, you know, today, if you don't win, then you're out of a job, basically. Um, so with that comes, you know, an environment that you try and create. Um, and in that environment, you allow, or I try to allow each person to be themselves and to enjoy whatever they're doing, but to always have, you know, in the back of their mind, we're here to win and we're here to win a lot and we're here to win on a regular basis and we're here to win on the long term, which is the most difficult thing to do. But yeah, today the world of football is summed up by winning games or winning the most games over the longest period. So yeah, to me, high performance is all about winning. And the reason we're talking today is because winning is something that you've proven you're very good at over the last few seasons. Before we talk about the specifics of your journey, your story, what you do and how you do it, let's just kind of break this down and have a really honest and quite vulnerable chat about what it's actually been like for you over the last couple of years to go from Will Still, unknown football coach, to Will Still all over, all over every newspaper, every news channel. Your name is on the lips of all football fans, Premier League clubs talking about you. How's that been? Totally weird. Totally weird, and it's been even sort of more weird for me this last week because I went to, up to Manchester to see family last week, and I've been in London for yeah two three days now, and people recognise you. People like stop you in the street and say, "Oh, we're still right, we're still." How you doing? It's like, how the hell do you recognise me? You know that in France, people are going to recognise you because you're working in that league, and you know the. You're all over the press there, and in Belgium, well, I've, I've come from Belgium, so people know you from that. But England, to me, was like abroad. You know, people don't know me abroad. You just sort of get used to it. Do you and, enjoy it? Uh, I don't think it's a question of enjoying it or not enjoying it. You just sort of, you know, you accept it because I was that person two years ago, three years ago. You know, if I if I'd seen you guys, I was like, oh, that's them. You know, I want to fight with them. Can I think I go up and talk to them? Do you think okay. I can? Yeah, I was that person. So weird and incredibly fast forward because it's like everything has happened over the course of the last sort of, yeah, two years in mega, mega fast forward and everything's happened so quickly. Why do you think it's happened so quickly? What do you put it down to? Uh, the social life we live in today uh, with social media, with newspapers, with all the media attention around it and being, I think, half English didn't help. Or did help, uh, because we know that you know in England everything gets blown up times times ten times twenty. I never really think about it, and I know that's easy to say. I never really sort of get you know my head lost somewhere in all the media attention and and my social media is going nuts and and you know you're having to ask people to to deal it or with it for you because it's, it's it gets too much. And it's like yeah okay that's cool that's great you know I'll I'll do an interview I'll do this I'll do that but. All I really want to do is, is win a game of football. And I get really, really annoyed when we don't win. So, yeah, you get used to it and I've you just try and sort of set it to one side and, and not forget about it because you know it's always there. But try and stay will and try and win games of football and that's that's proven to be enough, I think, in the last So what's the biggest months. difference of will today than two years ago then? Uh, a lot more 
responsible uh, and a lot more confident in myself. Because two years ago, you know, I had loads of ideas and I had loads of, I could talk about football for years and years and years and I could analyse games and, and watch things and see things. But I'd always need someone's confirmation of, oh, you know, what do you think? And, you know, I'd get sort of not annoyed if they hadn't seen the same thing as me, but I'd, I'd doubt myself. Yeah. And you'd sort of think, oh, no, maybe that was wrong. Maybe, you know, I was talking rubbish and that was something else. Uh, and then, you know, when when you sort of shoved into the into the limelight and it's like, right, Will, you've got five games before the World Cup, just go and do it. Let's do it. Let's let's have a go. And so when, you know, you, you're in it and you've got to do it and it's got to work, then you find whatever way to make it work. Uh, try and ignore all the pressure from the outside and just try and win a game of football. And I'm not going to say it's easy, but I can put myself into that sort of frame of mind of, right, Let's do it. And the fact of then winning it gives me, you know, confidence in myself, doing all the media work, because, you know, you've had you've had them all. Every single news channel in the world has, has wanted a piece of it, has wanted to, you know, tell the story from England, all the media from France. I had, you know, people from the United States. And so it's like, well, maybe I'm not that bad. Maybe I'm doing something that's half decent. But I also know that, you've got to keep doing it. And that's why, you know, that's part of high, high performance. It's good to do it for a period of time, but you've got to do it over, over a very long period of time to be very good. And that's what I'm trying my very best to do. But it's uh, it's difficult. I think the reason why people have gotten onto this story is obviously this football manager on a computer game narrative, and then it emerges into real life football management. I think we can all understand that, right? Is there an element of frustration from you that, that that seems to be the sort of dominant conversation? And do you attach as much importance to that period of your life playing a computer game that the media seem to have done? I don't get annoyed at it. Um, it makes me, you know, I'll laugh about it and I'll, I'll chuckle about whoever wants to believe in that story. And I was just like any other kid and people seem to sort of make me a half god playing football manager and making it to a real football manager. But it's like saying, oh, well, you know, I played Call of Duty, so tell you what, I'm going to go to war and, and, and do that. It's like not quite the same, you know, or well, I tell you what, I'm really good at Formula One on the PlayStation. Well, I'm going to drive yeah. Formula One. It's, you know, there's like a... Which, by the way, Lewis Hamilton loves driving games and played them all his life. And he raced the remote control car as a kid. But the story never became that, whereas it has, that has happened with yeah, you, hasn't it? I know. And I don't mind it, you know, if people want to attach that to me. I'm aware and I think you know people around me are aware of how much work and how many years of you know watching football talking about football coaching going to university going to you know various different things to make it as a football manager wasn't just the sort of fast forward from you know tapping my space bar and football manager to making it onto the onto the bench in, in Ligue 1 but it's a story that sells you know people enjoy that story people like to talk about that story but again, anything that had to do with football, whether it was FIFA, whether it was Football Manager, whether it was, you know, fantasy leagues, whatever, I wanted to try it because it was football. And my mates were all doing it, so why, why wouldn't I do it? So if you'll permit us, then, Will, I'd, I'd like to use a, a formula that we got it off Sia Khaleesi, the South African rugby captain, that said that to him, high performance was preparation leading to opportunity and then executing. And I want to talk about the preparation part of it because that's the bit that really intrigued me when I was 
preparing for the opportunity to meet you today, the hard yards you put in. Tell us a little bit about the story beyond the computer games and the actual learning your craft. I know this sounds like fairy tale like, but ever since I was sort of five or six and I saw my brother Ed, you know, playing football in the garden and playing football with his mates at a club, it was like, I want to try that. I want to play football. So, you know, set out, played with him, with footballers that were two years above me and, and, and much bigger than me and whatever. And this is in Belgium where you grew up? This is up, back yeah. in Belgium where, where we grew up. And we were always different because we were the English family living in Belgium, you know, obviously got bright ginger hair, which doesn't help. Um, wasn't the best at school. Didn't really interest me that much. Didn't really, just didn't captivate me at all. Um, and I never struggled. I was never like useless at it. But it just bored me to death. Yeah. I was like, oh, come on, I don't really want to go to school. And my parents were like, no, you've got to go to school, you've got to get a job, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, whatever. And by the time I was sort of 17, 18, I was finishing normal school in Belgium, playing at a decent level uh, in, in Belgian football. And finishing school, it was like, right, what's next? What am I doing? Where am I going? I went into university start, studies doing uh, physio. Hated it. Useless. Title waste of time. Should never have done it. Um, and went all the way from September to January. Did the January exams and got an average of, I think, 1.7 out of 20 on the January exams. No. And I was like, right, well, that's pretty useless. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna stop this. This is not what I'm, I want to do with my life. This is not where I want to go. And what was the conversation with your parents like when you... Difficult. Really difficult. And so I turned around and it was like, no, come on, Will, what, what are we really going to do? You know, what are you really going to do with your life? Uh, and the conversation with my dad, um, my parents had split up by then. I had a conversation with my dad and it was like, right, dad, you know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And he was like, well, what do you want to do? It's like, well, what I really want to do is play football. But not quite sure I can make a living out of playing football because I was, I was decent, but I wasn't that good. And he was like, well, let's do it. Let's, let's you know, let's, let's see what you can do in football. And so went through a whole process of finding studies in football. Uh, you know, Belgium obviously don't do it because Belgium is a very sort of scholar system where you all sort of go through a sausage machine and you all turn out the same after the sausage machine. And then found Myersco College up in Preston here in England, uh, which was a foundation degree in football coaching. Um, but it also allowed me to play football for the college and train in the morning and then have lessons about pretty much everything to do with the footballing world in the afternoon. Uh, visited the college in March, got a place on the course, and then sort of went from there. So what was the difference in terms of your interest levels and how it ignited you with that course compared to the physio one? It was football. And all I wanted to do was talk about football. All I wanted to do was either train, uh, like myself on the pitch, or, or watch football, talk about football, see football. Um, and I know that sounds pretty boring to some, but... I honestly don't know what I'd do if I wasn't in football. And, you know, and the conversation, as you said, with my, with my mum was difficult. It was like, yeah, but Will, football isn't a life. You can't make a life out of football. It was like, well, yeah, but I think I'd be deeply depressed if I wasn't doing something that I had to do with football. And so it was convincing my mum. took a long time. She was like, well, okay, you know, well, I suppose a foundation degree isn't too bad, so, you know, go and do that and we'll see what happens after. But it was... Football or sport on a sort of general level. But, you know, I tried the physio part of it and I was like, no, no, it's football. It's got to be football. And Myersco helped me 
sort of discover what else there was to just playing football and, and you know, reading about football in, in magazines and, and newspapers and really understand that there was actually a whole job opportunity behind it of there are so many things to do in football. You can be a kit man, you can be a physical prep, you can be a video analyst, you can be a coach, you can be a sports scientist, you can be whatever. But whatever you want to do is there for you to do. you just got to take the opportunity and do it. And that's pretty much what I did. There was a part of the course that was video analysis. And I love watching games of football. You mean, you know, give me 10 games to watch. I watch them all and, and try and understand what's going on. And that's what I did. Finished the course, came back to Belgium um, because Belgium was still, you know, home for me at that point. And you sort of go on the on the unknown route of knocking on on doors and trying to convince people that you can actually do things and video analysis back in the day wasn't that big in Belgium you know it was sort of the start of maybe we might film a game and see what happens in it so it was very start and it was difficult convincing people that it was an actual job and you know you you get everyone saying oh yeah right you know nice profile good to talk to you cheers mate I'll I'll, I'll drop you an email sometime and you know you walk away getting your card and think oh god so at this point just for clarity, you'd finished the course, you'd yeah. graduated, yeah. you'd gone back to Belgium from England, and you were, to all intents and purposes, knocking on doors, asking for work, right? Yeah, basically. And how many knows? I don't know how many cl- professional clubs there are in Belgium. I think 16 plus, I think there are about 24 professional clubs in Belgium. 22. So how did you learn to deal with that rejection? It wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. If it, if they weren't going to let me in as a as a video analyst or as a you know, something, I was going to make my way through something else, I was going to be a kit man, I, you know, I'd I'd sort of said to myself towards the end of, you know, however many no's, okay, it doesn't matter, I'll pick the water bottles up, I'll I'll put the cones out on the pitch, I'll wash the socks, I'll do whatever, as long as I'm with footballers and working in that environment. And got lucky. You need a bit of luck, got incredibly lucky. Uh, I actually went back to the club that I'd played for as a kid, um, who were then in second division, and a door opened, or half opened, and I managed to put my foot in it. Went to a training session at, at STVV, and went up to the coach and said, right mate, I'm Will, uh, I've done this and this, could I be of any help to you in the next sort of couple of weeks, couple of months? Um, is it something you, you know, takes interests or, or that, could, that could help? He was like, yeah, can you film a game? Oh, yeah, I think I can film a game. You cut video? Yeah, can do that. Right, well, our first opposition in the league is playing tomorrow in the middle of nowhere in Belgium. Uh, go film the game, uh, cut it up, make a presentation, do whatever you want, and come back to me in a few days. And this was on the Tuesday. The team were playing on the Wednesday and went back up on the Friday to present, you know, whatever I'd, I'd sort of seen and, 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 and filmed. And it went from there. He was like, right, this is brilliant. Do the next one, do the next one. And I was like, okay, but, you know, what what about contract or what about you know I didn't want anything but in yeah. Belgium you have to be employed or you right. have to be unemployed and get money from from the state I didn't want any money money just didn't interest me at all at that stage and he was like uh yeah I'll ask the club I'll ask the club so I stayed on I was full-time went every day uh, into the office went to trainings film trainings and and you know really got that sort of job going and the club wouldn't give me a contract because there was basically no money and it wasn't an option. So I was like, okay, whatever. I was still living at my, at my mum's house. Uh, had got a car, you know, crappy little car, but I, I got one. 
and that was enough. And what was your mum saying to you, though? Because as an adult, I can imagine if that was my child, I'd be like, well, hang on, you, like, you've got a worth here and you'd be pushing that you need to get some kind of recompense. This is where I think I, I owe my parents a lot, is that they could see I was happy. And for me being happy, that was enough. And they could see that, you know, there was something that was brewing and something that was in preparation. And they were patient enough to say, okay, you can live here, you know, no no rent, no whatever. Just make sure that you're doing your best and it's it's going to lead to something. And I was lucky enough that it did. And what about within the club, though? Because, again, I can imagine that if if, the, if they're not attaching any value to it financially, did they attach any real value to what you were offering them? Do you see what I mean? That yeah. that it's it's respected and they can see they can see the that it's worth something. The club weren't at all. Club weren't bothered at all. I was like I wouldn't say a ghost, but I was just non existent and you know, the coach wanted me there and as long as the coach was happy then it was fine. Right. And but, again we were winning games. So I think it's a good thing, actually. Oh, I, perfect. I would love my kids to go somewhere and work hard and not get paid and almost be treated like they're actually invisible and I think that builds a resilience within you. I think it um it teaches you that the world can be tough and also it actually tests your it tests your passion. You look like a complete idiot. Because you walk into, you know, meeting rooms, it's like and with, you know, board of directors or, or, or agents of players and whatever, it's like, Who are you? You just wait outside, please, mate. It, it, but it's great because it's humbling. Can I ask you and I don't want you to worry that this sounds arrogant or conceited or anything, but I think it provides real value for people. When you did that first tape and the manager went, well, that's actually brilliant. What do you think was on that that he hadn't seen elsewhere that impressed him? It's a great question. I've no idea. Really? And I've never asked him either because I never, you know, never had to really think about it. You're thrown in at the deep end because it was like, you know, I didn't have time to think about it. It was like, Will, the game's tomorrow. Go film it. Go and see what you can do. Bring it back in the next few days. So, oh, you know, I've been waiting for this all my life. You know, wow, I've got two days to do it all. And you don't have time to think. And it's like taking the job on now. You don't have time to think. So let me ask you a different angle then from your Myers-Cuff experience. What did you learn on that college course that you felt equipped you to be able to go into that professional environment and earn your stripes? If I'm being honest, in terms of football knowledge itself not like a million things going to college and talking about football was more learning about myself because if you think about it I'm half English half Belgian but I was always raised in a Belgian you know environment and now I'm going to college in the north of England in the middle of Preston because you know I'd sort of been to England to see family and I'd been to England to you know spend a bit of time but I've never lived in England and living in England is like totally different. It's a different environment, different culture, different banter, different way of living. And I turn up in Preston, you know, a little posh Belgian kid with, you know, nice parents. And, you know, you turn up in Preston and they all talk funny. And it's like, wow, what the hell am I doing here? Why have I done this? Why am I sat here in this class listening to, you know, these northerners talk with their weird accent about funny things? And laughing about odd things, and it's like, what am I doing here? I just want to go home. It's like, no, come on, 
you're not going to. It's football. You know, something's going to come of it. Something's going to work out. Something's That's gonna... what the conversation you were having with yourself. Yeah, all the time, every day. And, you know, you sit there on your own in your room, a million miles from your family, and you're sort of thinking, why am I sitting here on my own? Why am I doing this? And then, you know, you train the next day and go to class, and you get used to the environment, and you get used to the people, and you get used to the, you know, the rubbish banter that they've got. And it just sort of made me into who I am today, but it was really, really difficult. It sounds stupid for English people, but it's like, okay, go to the south of France and study something in the south of France sure. and see how different people are. Well, we were speaking off camera before, Will, and I was saying that Vincent Company attributes growing up in Belgium to have it one of the great assets that he believes it's developed in him is a highly attuned social antennae yeah. because you're dealing with people from Belgium, from France, from Germany that are close proximity. You've got people with Congolese backgrounds. You've got the European parliament there so you're dealing with so many different cultures and yeah. uh, and backgrounds that you have to learn to adapt and i'm interested in what lessons you can teach our listeners about how to successfully adapt to a culture that that they might not be used to give it time don't judge you know a book on its on its appearance because that's what college taught me the most i think it was like oh, hang on this is how big the world is and this is how different people can be. And, you know, nowadays I'm, I'm working with Japanese players, I'm working with African players, I'm working with French players, I'm working with Belgian players. We had Ballo on loan last year who was English. And it's like all these cultures and all these people are so different. How the hell are we going to get them into one room onto the same pitch doing the same thing at the same time? And that's where my experience of college helped me the most, I think is because I just kept putting myself in their feet and thinking, okay, what would I be thinking if I was sat there in that room with all those people around me and people looking at me? How would I react? And so it just gives me that that sort of slightly better understanding of how a player feels, how a player uh, is going to react and how a player is going to perform ultimately because you know I want him to perform. And that was the, the sort of trigger in my career, going to college and going out of my comfort zone and going... To another country it just opened my eyes on so many different things and be patient you know if if you can see someone's not quite comfortable if you can see someone's struggling if you can see someone's you know trying to put on a brave face but he just wants to sit there and not say anything then let him do that and, you know and go and talk to him you know one-on-one -on -one after and say you know you're right mate or you sure you're all right and he'd always put on a brave face, and the players, you know, because a player has an ego, and people have, you know, their self sort of pride. But he knows that you know, so he's already in a better place and in a better space. So he can go out on the pitch, and he's got half a smile on his face. And if you then bring that sort of topic or bring that conversation into a team meeting, it makes it so much easier, and people are then aware. And I did, you know, when I took over, it's like, right. I'm big, I'm ginger, I talk half-decent English, half-decent French, I'm from Belgium, working in France, and I'm going to get things wrong. Deal with it. Junior Ito, he's Japanese, he pretends he can't speak English, but he can. He pretends he doesn't understand French, but he does. Eats rice every, you know, lunchtime for, for a meal. Uh, isn't going to eat, you know, whatever we eat. Isn't going to talk whatever you're talking about. Deal with it. Marshall Munetsi. From Zimbabwe, uh, talks about cricket, runs a lot, smiles a lot, eats weird things too. 
makes a lot of noise, but he's not the most comfortable in that situation. Deal with it. Okay, and I just went through every player and said, right, we all have our own specifics. We all have our own weird traits of character. We all have almost that thing that makes us special. Don't hide it. You know, don't don't try and put it away. Don't try and be someone that I don't want you to be. Just be whoever you want to be. Just make sure you're there to win games. And that sort of college experience made me into this, the, you know, the person, the understanding person that I am today of... Right, yeah, if we want to get win games and there are so many different people in the room, this is how we're trying to have to go and get there. And ultimately it worked for a bit this year and we got a few positive results and, yeah, the rest is history, I'd say. How important then is it for you to be a vulnerable coach and manager? You've got to choose your moments. You've got to pick your moment, I think, because you, the players have to respect you as well. You have to show that you're capable of dealing with the shit that comes your way and the rubbish that comes your way. So when you're in front of them and the group is sat there in front of you, you've got to be normal because players identify when you're trying to be someone else and trying to you know pretend to be what you're not. And so I said, you know, that was that was those were my first words. You know, I'm Will. I know you. You know me. You know what I'm like. All I want to do is win a game of football, and I want to win another game of football. I want to win another game of football. I'm gonna you know mess things up. I'm telling you now. So please. If you've got to mess things up, mess as many things up as you can. But let's do it so that we're learning from it and then we're going to win games of football. So yes, you've got to be vulnerable in the fact of admitting that you're going to mess things up and you're going to fail at certain things. But it's all right to fail. It's all right to get things wrong. Um, And giving that sort of freedom to the players of of getting things wrong on the pitch, it's like, doesn't matter, mate. Get up, stand up, do it again. So they understand that you can get things wrong, but that you're there to win. And... If we're not learning from the mistakes that we're making, then we're wasting our time. So yes, I'll be vulnerable, and yes, I'll be I'll be accepting to making mistakes, and I'll be accepting to whatever you need to be in the best space possible. But once we've identified that space, and once we've got you into a position where you can perform, it's down to you. And you're paid a lot more than I am to perform, up to you. And if you're not going to perform, then I'm going to tell you that you're not going to perform. So it's finding that honesty as well of saying, Listen, mate, you know, I've I've created this environment for you. I've built the team around you to do this. You know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going to happen. I can't control you. I'm not playing FIFA. Up to you. Um, so you're understanding, but you're also in a sort of harsh reality of high performance. We've got to perform. We've got to do this. And if you're not, then I'm going to tell you you're not. And that's you talking at 30 years old, still incredibly young for what you're doing, but you've actually had six years of experience as a manager. So you... You did the period as an analyst, moved clubs, became an assistant, Mm. the manager lost his job. At 24, you were offered your first management job in the Belgian second division. What were you like that day? The day that you were told you're not going to manage this team. How different was that Will to the Will that's just really eloquently described how he manages today? I think Will was the same because he'd been through, you know, those college years and that, that sort of early life in football where no one really knew me. And so I don't think Will's changed. I think the way the message gets across is maybe different or slightly better. Uh, but again, I was, you know, it was like overnight. We played on the Wednesday night away. Uh, club, the club decided to fire the coach straight after the game. On the bus home, it was like, right, Will... As from tomorrow, your coach. 
you know, you, you sort of sat there and thinking, hang on, hang on. There's another assistant there who's 52. There's one there sat next to me who's 56, who's got 52 caps for Belgium. Why the hell am I being... What? 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 Why? And the president at that time, Egyptian owner, said, yeah, whatever, don't care about them, you're doing it. It's like, no, president, please just try and understand me. This is, like, weird. There are better people for, for this job. Yeah. And he just said, yeah, I don't, Will, I don't care about other people. I like you. Uh, you've got good ideas. Uh, you do it. So, okay, president, I'll do it for the next game. I'll prepare the game on the weekend, on the Sunday. And, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it after. Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Hang up. Shit, now what? <laughs> Turned around to the other assistants and said, right, the president wants me to do it. Are you all right with this? You know, are you okay with it? Um, I've no idea what I'm doing, by the way. Um, but are you okay with it? Yeah, you know, whatever, let's go for it. I was a baby, you know, I was, I was a kid, I was 24. And again, you know, I remember the next day we had recovery training, uh, so everyone was in the gym. And I took no one out onto the pitch because normally the players that didn't play, you know, go out on the pitch. But it was like, no, forget the pitch. We're, we're in here. And got everyone together. It was like, right, if I'm going to be honest, we're really, really, really shit. We were bottom of the league back then. Did you say that to them? Yeah. But it, it, it was so obvious. But it was like there was an elephant in the room. It was like, right, we're, we're shit. And it's not criticism because we've all been shit. We all together have been utter rubbish. And I think we all know that. And the players sat there and sort of thought, yeah, yeah, we've not been very good. And it was like, right, so, you know, I I, I haven't got a magic wand. I haven't got the answer right here, right now. What are we going to do? And the captain, uh, Fred France, he's called, uh, Fred stood up and said, well, I'll tell you what, Will, we can't do any worse than we've been doing. So we might as well just, you know, try and enjoy it. They'd missed promotion the year before for, you know, one point. And they were then bottom of the league. It was like, we haven't turned into a bad team, you know, And how much overnight. of the squad was the same? 90%, right. 95%. Uh, we haven't turned into a bad squad overnight. So, right, take fingers out of our ass. Let's, let's have a go. Uh, and that's just sort of basically what we did. But again, maybe it was giving the freedom to that captain at that point to stand up and say, right, come on, let's take a finger out of our ass. Because before that, it was difficult. Coach was very sort of, you know, one way, one... Quite dictatorial. Yeah, very. So how much thought goes into those first few words that you deliver to the players? And how much are you operating on instinct at this point? At that stage, when I was 24, total instinct. Nothing premeditated at all. I was bricking it. I'd slept at the club after after the game when we got back. Absolutely bricking it. Didn't sleep. I was like, you yeah. know, I'm 24. What when you say I'm bricking it, take us into those thoughts. My biggest fear was... I hope we're not going to lose 10 nil. You know, I remember yeah. sitting there, I was like, okay, what's the best team going to be? What are the 11 names that I can put out on that pitch that have a chance? And I knew they were good players, they were just playing rubbish. It was like, what if I get beat 10 nil and I'm the 24-year-old that turns into a video gag and, you know, goes all over social media and mess things up and loses 10 nil? I don't want to be that. So I had a... Very long conversation with my older brother. And it was like, Ed, you know, what am I doing? He was like, okay, yeah, this is weird. I was like, yeah, I know, Ed, but yeah, come on, help me. And it was like, well, go go back to basics. What, what, you know, what do we do when teams are losing? 
well, then I'll low block, 4-4-2, do that. Exactly as the two of you would have been doing, on, in all honesty, on that computer game all those years before, right? Oh, yeah, or watching, you know, match of the day, yeah. West Ham, yeah. Yeah, yeah. whatever teams we'd been watching, you know, criticising the coach. Yeah. Because that's what, you know, supporters do. So, ah, you know, whatever, coach, you rubbish, get him off, take him off, do this, do that. <laughs> I had him on the phone, it was like, Ed, you know, what are we doing? Such a mad story on yeah, the phone to your older do? brother trying to work out how to manage a football club. What does Ed do? Ed's a football coach now. Right. He's he, he works in, in the Belgian First Division. I love it. Uh, still now. But at the time when you phoned him, was he, was he, he was, in so football? When I left my first role as a video analyst and went to Standard Liège, the club STVV told me, by the time they'd recognised that I was actually doing a decent job and you know, it was actually quite useful, they, I went into the office said, right, you know, the coach is leaving to Standard Liège, I'm going with him. And they were like, well, we've given you a contract three months ago, you're not leaving. It was like, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm going to Standard Liège because it's one of the best clubs in Belgium and, you know, it's an opportunity. You didn't pay me for a year, you didn't acknowledge that I existed. This club is now giving me a very basic contract, but at least they're giving me a contract and I'm going with the coach who gave me the opportunity. Okay, but before you leave, you've got to find a replacement. So I went back in my car, sat in my car for five minutes, was like, right, if they want to take the piss, I'm going to take the piss. Walked into the office, said, right, I've got a replacement for you. Who is it? Oh, my older brother, Ed. <laughs> and they were like, no, come on. I was like, no, he's brilliant. You know, he's really good at what he does. Uh, you know, he sees the game how I see it and he understands how to work all the video stuff. And it was like, Ed, right, come back to Belgium. You've got a job in football. And he started and replaced me as a video analyst at the previous club. So we were doing, right. you know, more or less the same thing. And it was like, okay, well, what team am I putting out? And he was like, well, you've got to choose that, mate. I haven't seen them in training. I haven't seen them, you know, what the energy's like and all of that. Went out, played a 4 2 3 1 pretty low block transition football because it was going back to basics it was like okay let's go back to basics what can they do how can they identify things in the simplest way and we then went on a 10 game unbeaten run winning 8 of them and it sort of went from there again and it was like oh I can do this it's alright and yeah again the rest is history and what was the biggest challenge during that 10 game run that you hadn't anticipated that you had to deal with now as a head coach attention Attention from the outside world and pressure from the outside world. Because, you know, in the same way now, I've gone from being no one to suddenly existing in people's minds. Yeah. Uh, I was a 24-year-old who should never have been a head coach. I had only got my UEFA B licence, I think, at that stage. Uh, who was coaching a team in second division in Belgium? Who was on a 10-game unbeaten run? No one does that. And it was like, who are you? And so you get, you know, camera crews coming to film you all day from your home. And I was actually still living with my mum at that stage, which is embarrassing. Follow you through the club, uh, film you during the game, film you post-match, and make a whole sort of, you know, documentary about who is Will Still the next, whoever he was. And people criticise you. I got absolutely hammered uh, in the Belgian press for the way I'd behaved on the touchline or the way I'd... No, it was a pep talk pre-game. So they'd film the pep talk pre-game. And I'm just honest. My language is, or came across as awkward back in the day, because, again, Belgium is very sort of boxed off and structured, and you can't talk too loudly, and you can't make too much noise. It was football changing room yeah. language. You know, the F word comes out and whatever. And got absolutely slated. What did they Wait, say? Oh, Will Still, he's, an, he's 24. He has uh, no idea of the words that he's using he doesn't identify the people around him 
um, shouldn't be coached, fire him, should be, you know, should go back to school and learn how to... Were you being described as English as well? So that... I was being described as half English, half... They they painted the portrait right. Right, okay. Just absolutely hammered me. And, it and how like, did that feel? Horrible. Because my mum, I was watching it with my mum on the Monday night. In Belgium they do, they have the games at the weekend and on the Monday night people go on telly and talk about the games at the weekend. And all of a sudden my face pops up in the thing and the documentary is sort of, you know, shown. The bit at half time is shown. And yeah, even I was sat there looking at it and thinking, wow, well that's not me and that's not quite what I said. And it was all taken out of context obviously because yeah. when you take it out of context then it looks bad. You know, these, these 40, 50 year old men, five of them sat around a table with half of Belgium watching, saying how bad I was and how rude and how not educated and how I should go back to school and back to learning the language the right way. And it was like, my mum was sat next to me. And you sort of sit there and think... And what was her reaction? Speechless. Didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. You know, I was, I was sat there on, my, on the settee but, next to her. There's a recurring theme here right from the start of your career when you didn't have a contract and you were being ignored at your first club, there's a recurring theme of being undervalued and misunderstood, actually, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, potentially, yeah. But again, never sort of really thought about it. And it yeah. didn't... It hurt a lot that evening. I, I remember, you know, sort of having a, a weird 20 minutes where no one really spoke. And, you know, I think my first question was, you're right, Mum? Mm. And she was like, yeah, what are you going to do? I ain't got a clue, Mum. Most people's answer would be, well, I'm going to change the way I act to please other people. But we were winning. You know, we'd won the game. But did it leave an element of self-doubt and am I doing Huge. the right thing? Do I need to do it differently? Massive. Yeah. Massive. Am I allowed to use that language? The players haven't said anything to me, so yeah, I think it's all right, but maybe I should talk about it or maybe I shouldn't talk about it or maybe, you know, I shouldn't talk to press anymore. Maybe that's the answer. If I don't talk to press, then they can't annoy me. But you have to talk to press because you have contractual obligations. Right, can't do that. Uh, and then it was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try and deal with it or I'll try and stick it to the back of my mind. Went in the next day, I was like, okay, people, you've seen it? Yeah, yeah, well, we've seen it. Anything else? Nope. Okay, put that to bed and let's keep going. I mean, I love this because this is such a human conversation because really? we all look at... You know, you are managing a club in one of the top five leagues in Europe, going up against some of the biggest clubs in the world as a manager. And I think the outside world sees people like that as different, not as like everybody else. But you're having exactly the same thoughts, doubts, fears, worries, conversations with your mum that everyone listening to this podcast or watching this podcast would have. Oh, yeah, 100%. Someone at Lord's said to me yesterday, oh, Will, you know, you're half God. You're unbelievable at what you do. It's like, no, I'm not, mate. I'm just Will. You know, and I know I'm not, and I know that if I lose, you know, the first five games of the season, I'm going to be sacked. That's just the reality of football yeah. right now. For so long, many of you have been asking for more from the High Performance Podcast, and now you can get it. I'm pleased to say the High Performance app is available for you to download now. Simply search for High Performance in the App Store right now, and then use your exclusive code HPAPP for exclusive content, untold stories, and things you won't see or hear anywhere else check it out right now the high performance podcast app hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So let's do the next sort of leg on this fascinating story. So you're managing at this point, because then actually you went back to being an assistant who got a management job again with a sacked manager and then became an assistant. And I think this is really interesting because this was a period in your career where you actually had the courage to go, I'm walking away mm. again at a young age, which I think is really brave. Would you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah, so the club that I was at when I was 24 went bust at the end of that season, which was also really difficult because managing people that aren't paid for three months is something tough. And, you know, they, they walk up to you and say, well, I'm not training. Um, All right, mate, why not? Well, I'm being paid. Why would I play if I'm not if I'm not paid? I wasn't getting paid at all. Right. And no one at the club had been paid. Basically, the last sort of five months of that we were at the club, no one was paid. But we still got games to play. We were top of the league, five games towards the end, and there was a proper possibility of us, you know, getting somewhere. And you were bottom when you took over. Yeah, yeah, we were bottom of the league. But it, but second division works in a weird way. It's like periods, so you win the first part of the league and then you win the second part of the league and then those two winners play against each other in the okay. final. But it was like, okay, I know money's important and I know, you know, you all want a job, but the actual fact is we don't have a choice because you can't walk away from the club and go and sign somewhere else right now because the club hasn't been, you know, declared as bankrupt. We haven't got a choice. So either we come in here and say, I'll tell you what, let's have a go. And let's just play for the pure, simple fact of enjoying football and playing football. Or not play, and that's your choice, and I totally respect it. Not one single player stopped. We had a protest day because the media had come to training, so we didn't train that day, and the players had come to me and said, right, well, media are here, we're not training. Not a problem, fine. Totally get it. So you created real unity then between you and oh, the players? Oh, massively. It was easy, though. Well, easy. It was made easy because of the environment and, you know, conditions around it but I'm pretty sure I would have asked any one of those players to run at that brick wall and smash their head through it they would have done it because you know that's what the team needed anyway club went bust moved on back as an assistant spent three years at Beerscott who was again back in second division uh, we got promoted in the second season uh, first year back in first division the coach Hernan Losada he went to the MLS got an offer from the MLS and left and I was supposed to go with him. It was, you know, he turned around and said, well, right, you're coming with me, mate. And I was buzzing. You know, MLS, better money, big money, uh, different environment, different culture. Yeah, let's go, cool. Then the club turned around and said, well, where are you going? I thought, I'm, you know, I'm packing it off. I'm, 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 I'm off. Yeah, no, you're not. You're, you're our head coach. Right. Okay. And I'm 28 at that stage. And again, it's sort of like, we've got a game in three days. By the time the, Old coach had left. We were on a run of, I think we'd got zero out of 21 or 24 points. So on a terrible run of form, right in the middle of COVID, loads of players had got COVID. I'd had COVID too. And it was, right, we'll sort it out, uh, finish in a decent place in the league, and then we'll we'll see where we are at the end of the season. End of January, so we'd got about 12, 13 games left. And I've all of a sudden become the youngest head coach in Belgian history or something, you know. 
odd like that. And the media got hold of it and it was like, oh, Will Steele's back. Oh, right, Will Steele from Lierse. He was like, oh, he's back. Won a few games, finished ninth in the league, uh, which was slap bang in the middle of it. Did all right. And then at the end of the season, the club came back to me and said, uh, oh, well, you know, second season syndrome back in first division is always the toughest. Uh, so we're going to bring in a coach who's got you know bags of experience. I think he was 61 at that point. Knows the Belgian league off by heart. So he's our new head coach. You know, and I was not disappointed, but frustrated that I couldn't keep the train rolling. Yeah. And didn't get the opportunity to prove that I could have done it. Feel un- a bit undervalued. A bit. Yeah. But I was like, okay, cool, maybe. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've changed today is when you ask me, you know, what what's the difference? Is like, I'm a bit more self-confident. Not a lot, because I don't like talking about myself. Sure. And I can't sell myself at all. And people sort of think I'm a bit of a weirdo. It's like, yeah, okay. Cheers for that, Will. Um, we'll go to someone else. And they'll pick someone else who talks well and who's yeah. who looks good. So this new coach came in. And so I asked them, well, you know, what role do you want me to have? What, Where am I going with this? And I said, oh, well, you know, we want you to be assistant because you're a great assistant. Not sure I want to do that because it's weird when you've been a coach of you know, a certain group of players to then turn back into a an assistant with another coach. It's like he's got his ideas, but these players know that my ideas are these. Yep. Uh, and I, I don't know, just didn't feel it. And it was like, tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. For the first time in my life, I'm going to walk away from football and say, for the good of the that team and those players, it's not the right thing for me to still be in that club at that point. What? No, Will, you can't leave. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's like, no, no, honestly, believe me, you do not want me at that football club anymore. I, I'm not, wow. I wouldn't be in the right place. Well, yeah, well, you still got a contract with us. It's like, okay, fine. I'll pay whatever you want me to pay. I'll pay it off. Honestly, the best thing for everyone is for me not to be there. Was there not fear there, though? Because once you're out the game, you're out the game, and this is a job offer. And Oh, yes, yeah, good like- shit. You know, I didn't want to be six months out of a job. I didn't mm. want to watch, you know, other people talk about football and do football and give training sessions. How did you quieten that fearful voice? Didn't. It was like just one of those random decisions, one of those many random decisions that I've made in my life of do it. It feels right now. It's should be okay. Just try it. So is gut instinct a big thing for you? Massively. All I do is instinct, I think. You know, I sort of have a think about it and think, does this feel okay? Is this, am I okay with this? Okay, do it or don't do it. Well, what changed in your relationship with the industry that you're the kid that came in and worked for a year for nothing in the shadows and now you're the young man choosing to walk away and pay back a contract? What was it that had changed in your perception of the industry? Not a lot because it was as if I was being kicked out again. You know, in that first year, it was like, well, he's, he's annoying, he's come to watch trainings and he's he's there but we're not paying him so he's alright we can ignore him and here it was well he's done alright but you know we want we want a good coach in and we want a coach that's going to you know be able to manage the team on the long term or whatever the club actually went down the year after and so it was just that feeling of people don't really want you there go away it was that feeling that you have but there's something that you said that you love football so you'd have done anything to 
be involved in football. But my, you're walking away from football, and I'm interested. My perception of you yourself. Yeah, my perception of football wasn't the reality that I was getting back. Right. You know, I was like, this professional world of football is a tough place, and people are going to bite, and people are going to attack you, and people are going to try and stick a proper knife in your back if you're not careful. So. Be aware of that, but don't lose the love that you have for football. Don't forget what it is you love. And, you know, for me, the love of football is is watching it with my brothers, watching, you know, you guys on telly, watching Match of the Day on a Saturday night, going out on a, on a freshly cut grass with new balls, your new boots on and thinking, this is the life. I'd pay to stand on a perfect football pitch, freshly mown grass, with a ball, 15, 18 players or, or more, and a set of cones, I'd pay to do that. Because you feel so good and you've got, you know, that new kit on and pre-season is going to start in a few days and it's like, oh yeah, best feeling in the world. I'd pay to do that. And whatever I was getting back was not, that's not football for me. And I just decided to okay. like, okay, that's your reality. Um, I accept it, that's fine. My reality isn't that. And so I walked away and thought, you know, what next? Maybe I need a few days off. So I thought about a holiday. And literally two days later, uh, Stade de Reims, so where I am now, my phone rings and I'm like, French number, it's a bit odd. Don't pick up. Uh, it leaves me a message saying, oh, hello, Will, this is Mathieu Lacour from Stade de Reims, uh, general director. Uh, if you've got five minutes, give me a ring back. And I was like, what? Yeah, I showed it to one of my friends. He's like, do you think this is real or do you think this is a, a, a piss take or something so I don't know we'll you know ring him up so I ring him up and have a conversation of and they say oh right well you know we've been following you since your days in in Lierse when you were 24 we've came come to watch a few sessions of yours this year without you knowing uh, love your energy love your you know your style we're looking for an assistant coach next year in, in Reims fancy it yeah you know, I'm, 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 I'm on it yeah get me there so I went down two days later, visited the club, visited, you know, the, all the, the infrastructure, which was, you know, different level to what I'd been at, and went on as assistant manager to Oscar Garcia at that point. And had that, those first few weeks, or the first sort of 10 days when you go into France and you're in a different environment, different culture, thinking, maybe this wasn't the best idea, coming to France and doing this. But then you sort of force yourself to think, now come on, it's Ligue 1, it's top five leagues in the world, good players, decent money. Come on, push through it. Back in Preston again. Back in Preston, same same feeling. And you know, you're sat in a flat all in your own and all your mates are a thousand kilometres north. It's like, no, come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. Only thing is, I'm on my UEFA A licence at that point, uh, or finishing it, in Belgium. So it's going back and forth to Belgium twice a week, which is difficult. And then I sort of thought to myself, right, either I've just got to push through and, and do my best to, to get these courses. And the weird thing is, is that about a week later, Vincent Company rings me up. And to me, you know, Vincent Company is like a big thing. And he said, oh, well, you know, uh, come be my assistant at uh, Andalek. Craig Bellamy's just left. Yeah, great. But how am I going to get out of Stade de Reims? You know, because I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the time that I had there. Mm. But it was difficult with the with the UEFA courses. And it was like, you know, perfect match. I can be back in Belgium, finish my coaching badges off, work for 
one of the biggest clubs in Belgium and work for any company. You know, well, it doesn't get much better than that. So told Reims about it. They weren't best pleased, but they agreed in the end. Found an agreement with Anderlecht. And then had a very honest conversation with, with Vinny of, Vinny, what do you want me to be doing? What is Will still going to bring to Vincent Company? Are you doing this after you've had these difficult conversations with the club and yeah. you got the agreement? Yeah. Drive up to Underlect, go around the training complex, almost sign a piece of paper, and then, you know, see Vinny. It's like, Vinny, what am I doing? And I just couldn't see myself working in that structure, in that environment, because... It was Vincent Company's environment. And I have the utmost respect for, you know, Vinnie Company's regime and his, his structure and his work, but I couldn't see myself working in it. And so I turn around and sort of think, I don't want to work with Vinnie Company. And not it's not that I don't want to work for Vincent Company because I love Vince Company. It's I'm not going to bring what he's expecting me to bring in that environment. I'm going yeah. to be totally useless at, ask, at doing what he's asking me to do. But how am I going to tell him that? Pluck up the balls, ring him up. Vinny, uh, I think I made a bad choice. Oh, right. Okay, well, well that's fine. Thanks for your honesty. Uh, I'm sure we'll, you know, talk again, speak again, whatever. All the best. That's it? Yeah. Oh, shit, that was easy. <laughs> he said, well, this is, this is the plan. This is what I want you to do, what I expect you to do. And if you're telling me that you don't feel up for that, then thanks for telling me. Great. Right. Cheers, Vinny. Yeah, no problem, Will. See you later. So what's your conversation about like in France now? Because that's a yeah, more difficult one. As I'm driving home, Standard Liège ring me up and say, Will, we just fired a coach. Uh, we want someone new and we don't want you to go to Anderlecht. I'd worked for Standard Liège in the past. It's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? Yeah, yeah, we've just sat the coach. Uh, we want you to come in here and, and, you know, be coach. I was at Anderlecht three minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, we know, but we don't want you to go there. So we're offering you a job here in Liège. Okay, I'll drive down now. So I drove down the same day to Liège. I had a conversation with the board. Will, this is what you can do. This is what we want you to do. And there I felt, ah, this is the role that I want to have. This is what I want to be doing. Uh, And working with a decent coach. So that was the right environment, right energy for me at that point in my career. So I signed again for Standard Liège, finished the season off there with them. And at the end of last season, the head coach, Oscar Garcia, back in Reims, rang me back, said, right, Will, you finished your licences, you finished all your you know, rubbish off. Yeah, I'm all good. Right, well, you're coming back. Okay. Uh, the club, did the club agree? Don't know, don't care, I'll convince them. Okay, right. <laughs> Next day, Mathieu Lacour rings me back, said, right, Will, coach wants you back. We're not best pleased with it, but... You I was going to say, was there any bitterness there? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Huge amount. Yeah, yeah. And I had a my contract that I had the first time was better than the one that I had at the start of this season. Oh, no. So it was like... Why didn't you just stay at Liège? Didn't feel right. The club had been bought by American owners. Um, so again, that feel is... Yeah. Is right it there. just wasn't right. It was like, nah, not the right environment. But you're going from head coach there to assistant at Stade d'Arin, yeah? Yeah. Like, have you reached a point now where you're a manager and you never go and be an assistant anywhere again? Now, probably, yes. Yeah. But at this point, your ego was still not so big that you were happy to step down. No, and it, yeah. I don't think it's... Yeah, I'm not quite sure it's ego-driven. I think it's just, I have my ideas and I, I think that this is the best way to play the game yeah. or this 
could be the right environment for me. And then if I'm going to work for someone, then I want it to be, you know, something that I've never seen before and the very best that I can learn from, like Vincent Company or Pep Guardiola or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And so it's like at that point, no, great, you know, I enjoyed Reims. I liked the league. I liked the club. I felt good there. Uh, I'm not going to have to be going back and forth the whole time to do my licenses. So, yeah, let's give it a shot. So I signed back for the club, start pre-season. We're doing okay. We didn't have the best start to the season. But the, the I think the most challenging thing was uh, Oscar Garcia was going through, I don't even know how to you know, explain it. His, his daughter was basically dying um, with, with brain cancer. And so he's never there or very rarely there. And if he's there, there's a whole sort of energy around him that is really, really mm. difficult. Which is fully understandable. Totally you know? understandable. Yeah. And, you know, we never, it was never a conversation. It was like, you're, you know, if he's not here, then it's normal. Mm. We're not winning games. We're, I think we were 18th in the league. And last season, there were, you know, four teams that went down in the league. So it was, it was difficult. And the club, you know, turned around halfway through October or start of October and say, you know, Oscar, we totally understand the situation. But we have a club to run. We have a club to, you know, make live which was badly very badly perceived by the French press somewhere understandably mm. um, but you know wherever you're at in your life right now isn't helping us and we can't sure. we've got to you know, go different ways so they sack Oscar uh, and I actually had a clause in my contract with with Reims that said if they fire Oscar they can fire me because Oscar was the one that brought me back to the club and I was quite happy you know I was like okay great they ring me up and say, right, Will, uh, we fired Oscar. And I was expecting them to say, right, you know, you, you've got to go too. Which and I, you were okay with that? I, I knew it because Oscar was the person that brought me back to the club. Right. And I was like, well, okay, you know, I, I get it. You know, we're not we're not doing very well in the league. And okay, you know, what am I doing next? Yeah, you're not leaving, you're taking over. Well, what intrigues me on this is that you've just described that you've, that you've had that sense of bitterness that you'd left them to go back to Belgium. They've accepted you back in reluctantly because the coach is, is doing that. I'm interested in the relationship and what's happened or evolved in that time that they're now trusting you. I think from the start, they really liked me as a, as a coach and as a person. And they were running a business. You know, they're running their business. They're running a football club. Uh, and so they, they sort of set that emotional, human aspect of me going back to Belgium totally aside. I forgot about it. And it was like, then no, I no, shut up this is a business, you can't do that. And when I went back, it, I was just normal. I was like, you know, I know you're annoyed and I know I had the conversation with them to sort of break the ice a bit. It was like, I know you're pissed off. I know, you know, what I'd done was a bit against sort of moral ethics and whatever, but that's what I needed to do. Uh, and I said to them, well, hang on, because what if I want to be loyal towards Oscar? And the second clause in my contract was I had to pay a huge amount to get out of my contract because basically they wanted to avoid another club coming to pick me up. I was like, well, I can't pay that. I ain't got yeah. that money, you know. Well, no, we know that. That's why we know you're not going to go. So that's why we want to make you head coach. So I haven't really got a choice. Well, you know, yeah. one of those. You need a bank loan. <laughs> and it was like, right, okay. Felt terrible. Really, really seriously bad towards Oscar. Uh, and still do. He's never spoken to me again. Really? Yeah, no. Mm. 
Have you tried to reach out? A few times, yeah. yeah. And his daughter died, you know, a few months later. Yeah. Um, and does he see what you did as a betrayal? Yeah, of... I think so. Which I get. I totally understand. Because I think I probably would have thought the same. Sure. But I, you know, literally didn't have a choice. It was like, well, either you're paying more than £600,000 yeah. to get yourself out of the club, but the club aren't sacking me, so I can't leave. And I can't try and be loyal to you. But again, he was in a... Sure. In a space and whatever, where which was difficult, so... And I had to win a game of football at the weekend, and it was like, well, you're only playing PSG, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, yeah, never really looked back, never really thought about it twice. Was that the nil-nil draw with PSG? Yeah, at home. How good did that feel, stopping them from scoring? <sighs> it lasted about 20 minutes. I've got all these cameras around me on the pitch, and, you know, you're going around the stadium thanking the supporters, because we always do that. And it's like, right... Okay, we've got a nil-nil draw. Yeah, we're playing away to Lorient next week. Now what? And it literally lasts like yeah, that much. Moments, yeah. And everyone after the game is like, oh, you know, whatever, this is brilliant, this is this, this is that. Congratulations, huge. Yeah, thanks. Right, leave me alone now, I've got to do something else. And it always lasts, yeah. N- nothing. Literally nothing. And you go on to the next game. And at the start, the club had said, right, well, you've got, I think it was five games till the World Cup. So take charge for the five games and then we'll see where we're at. We'll see where we're going. We go unbeaten in the five games. I think it's two or three games we win. Anyway, we're unbeaten in the five games. Comes the World Cup, the players are all saying, no, no, Will, you're staying, you're staying, you know. We want to keep going with you. Okay, well, I'm not going to decide, so, you know, we'll see. The board turn around and say, right, Will, you know, good job, well done. You've turned the energy around. You've turned the team around. Keep going to the other end of the season. Uh, and then the club turn around and say, well, we'll renegotiate your contract, Will. It's like, okay. Just know that we're paying 25k a game for you to be on the touchline because you haven't got your pro licence yet. So if we play four games in a month, yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. It's basically a million pounds a year for you to manage the football club. Something like that. That you're not yeah. getting. Yeah. I didn't want it, though, to be honest. Yeah. I really didn't want it. But it's money that can't go elsewhere, isn't it? That's the point they're making. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, wow, thanks. Great opportunity, thank you. And I think my salary leaked out into the press halfway through February or something, and every manager's salary was in the press halfway through February in Likib. And, you know, people take the piss because I was earning nothing, basically. We've spoken about your relationship with the cameras and the scrutiny and that, that horrible experience when you were 24. What have you learned at this stage then, now that you're the head coach and things like this are being leaked out that then present that you're some guy that got lucky and that's why they're not paying you anything. How are you managing that? What kind like what lessons have you learned? Ignore it. Not bothered. It affects me in a without it actually affecting me. And what I've tried to turn around is well, hang on. Let them try and understand who Will is. Open the door. There was actually a a thing that went out on social media where I'm talking French and English, talking to the squad. uh, And, you know, people absolutely love that. But I know that the same video fragment, I would have got slated for it eight years ago when I was doing it back at the other club. Yeah. So perception has changed. And people see me in a different way. And... It's like, right, well, this is me. I'm not perfect. I'm big, I'm ginger. You know, I I talk funny in both languages. 
but this is who I am. So if you want to have a go at me, you're not going to knock me down that far. And I know, you know, I lose five games and people say, uh, people will start saying how shit I am. Yeah, that's football. I know I'm not shit and I know I'm not very good. I'm just where I am at the moment. That's fine. And I'm expecting it. It's going to happen someday. We're about to do our quick fire questions, but before we do, in the spirit of honesty, and you know, so I think many managers would kind of sidestep this and just give the old, I'm happy where I am, one day at a time, one game at a time. How ambitious are you? Oh, massively. Massively, because I've grown up again in that environment of watching the Premier League. And I've, you know, we we used to win the World Cup on FIFA with my brother. It's like, I'll tell you what, I want to win the World Cup. But I know that I'm nowhere near the Premier League and I'm nowhere near the World Cup right now. Um, but that's okay, in a way, because I'm, I'm 30 and I've got a bit of time and a bit of, you know, I've got a few things to do before I get there. And, it, you know, it makes me laugh when people ask me, oh, Will, you got to come to England. Would you come to England? What do you think about England? It was like, well, yeah, obviously, you know, obviously you better end up. Everyone loves England. Everyone everyone wants to work in England, and I'm, and I'm no different. And, you know, just being here for a few days, it does feel like almost like home now because I can sort of yeah. find my, you know, my roots and this is my parents grew up here and somewhere down the line I am I do feel English so do you plan not at all because if someone had asked me to plan what I've just done in the last 10 years I would have told them to to do one you know it's like <laughs> who would have said that I was going to be a coach at 24 you know who's going to say I was going to be a coach at 28 and then managing in Ligue 1 at 30 it shouldn't happen doesn't happen and I've no idea what whatever's going to happen in the future and it doesn't worry me that much if it happens then great if it doesn't happen then I'm sure there'll be something else and I'm sure you know I'll find something else where I'll, I'll feel all right somewhere else again it won't stop me being ambitious and it won't stop me creating that high performance environment to win games of football because you know every 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 person in the world says they hate losing games but I actually feel proper proper shit when I've lost the game and I hate it I hate that mm. feeling of walking out and having to talk to the press and, and seeing the players you know spend three minutes being sad and then get on the phone and having to go through that whole week of knowing you've lost the game and people are judging you because you lost the game and it's like ah, I hate that feeling proper hate it so I don't want to go through that ever or as less as possible I bet uh, right we've reached the point for our quick fire questions so the first one is the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the, the people around you need to buy into. Enjoy it, number one. Mm. What better feeling is there than, like I said, walking out on a on a football pitch with the grass is perfect, your kit is perfect, you know, you've got 20,000 people scanning, screaming your name. How could you not enjoy that? Enjoy the game of football. Okay. That's number one. Number two, commitment. Okay, if you're going to be part of our squad and you're going to be part of our team, you've got to go full for that team. You know, and I'll allow your ego to be as big as it needs to be and I'll allow your your personality to be as important as it has to be. And I think the best example of that is, is Balogun that we had this year. It was like, Balo, I know how you feel coming to France. I know how you feel in this environment. Just be Balo. That's fine. Okay, well, I'll do that. So commitment to the team. And Ballow then understood that, yes, he wanted to score goals, but he was going to need, you know, the 23 other people beside him to be as good as that. And so it's creating that sort of, again, environment where people can be themselves, but realise that there is a common goal 
and that common goal is only going to work if if everyone's committed to it. Mm. So commitment is number two. And number three, I know, again, very sort of fairy tale like and romantic, but honesty, if you think something's shit and if you think I'm chatting shit, tell me it's crap. Be straightforward. If you think I've made a mistake, come and tell me because I'm going to tell you if you've made a mistake. And a lot of people say, yo, it's dangerous, you know, being so close to your players and, and having that relationship with your players. But that's just who I am. And if they're going to accept that I'm telling them that it's bad, I need to be able to accept that they're coming back at me with something. Um, and we find a you know a level playing field where everyone can, can sort of agree. But also be honest sort of between ourselves, but towards yourself. Because a footballer's automatic reaction is when you say something's bad, you'll say, yeah, but this and he was poor and he was this and he was that and he was doing this and well, the, you know, the grass was a bit wet and this was, a, it's, yeah, shut up about the excuses. Let's have a look at the video. Were you being bad? Well, yeah, I wasn't great. Okay, now we're getting somewhere where, where we can have a conversation where, and where we can make a bit of progress and have that difficult conversation, which in the end, as we said, isn't actually that difficult. It seems, you know, like a mountain to climb, but it isn't actually that hard once you've said the first word. What's one piece of advice you'd give to a teenage will just starting out? Uh, don't believe in the people that say it's not possible. Do whatever it takes. Just keep going. Don't give up. If that's really what you want to do and that's really the place you want to get to, just do it. I know it's difficult. I know there are going to be you know, 10, 10 days, two to three weeks that are tough. But you know, if you've got one thing that you want to do, do it. Identifying it is also difficult because what do people really want to do in life? You know, So many people go through a job and do a job that they don't really enjoy. I'd hate to do that. It's like, no, well, if you've got a job, enjoy it. You know, do what you really want to do. And that was comes back to the conversation that I had with my dad is like, do whatever you want to do and do something that's going to, you know, make a difference to your life and make you enjoy your life. Very good. If you could recommend a book for our, um, do you read? I don't read it anymore, <laughs> but there's a, there's an explanation to that. Come on then. I can't read. I mean, I can like read ABC, but if I read a page of a book, by the end of the page, I'd have forgotten exactly what I've just read because like my brain just doesn't process it. So what sort of learner are you then? You're a visual learner. Right, okay. If I see a video, if I hear it, if someone talks about it to me, that's fine, I can see it. But if I've got to read something or read a book or read a something, it's like, well, forget it. If you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why? Winning the title with STVV, so the very first club I worked for at the end of that season where I had nothing. Because that was proof to myself that it was possible. And I remember standing on the podium in front of all the supporters in the club that I'd played for as a kid. It was like, what is this? You know, I'm part of a club that I've just won the league with. I think I've contributed a bit to what the team did. And through all the not getting paid and not being, you know, whatever, I've won this title and I've helped these people lift the trophy and, and be the best team in the league. And the fact of it being, you know, that club at that particular point in my life was... a uh, it's the best feeling in the world and it comes back to winning you, know, you win something that feeling is just like wow and the last question your one golden rule for people that have listened to this conversation for them to live their own high performance life set yourself a goal and go for it and just believe that you know it is possible that's the perfect way to end and thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on all that with us honestly it's been really interesting thanks for having me 
Damien. Jake. You know what? And I want this to come across as in the... Like, I want you to take this in the spirit in which it's intended. That was like having a chat with a mate who really likes football but has never worked in football a day in his life. And I don't want that to... Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you could take that as offensive and go, well, how but actually... It's the total opposite of offensive. It's almost the greatest compliment you can pay to someone who works in the game, but has not been jaded, twisted, altered, impacted by working in the game. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I'd, like Halfway through, I was reminded of um, a famous quote I'd read about Bobby Robson, where people used to talk about, even in his last job at Newcastle, it was his sheer joy and passion of being out on a mm. football field with a ball and with footballers to uh, to play with and people always used to talk about it. it was almost like boyish in his enthusiasm that he never lost it and listening to will there talking about how i i'd pay to do this job yeah it's such a pleasure i think it's lovely to hear somebody with that undiluted and like you say unblemished passion for something and i hate how football and football by the way is not alone in this um how football discriminates against outliers all sport does the whole world does, every industry does. And yet this is a guy who, by his own admission, is an outlier. He's coming at it from a totally different angle to everybody else. That's why everyone's obsessed with this rather dull conversation around, you know, fo playing football manager on the computer. But he's coming at it as an outlier. And he shows that you can do that. And I think f football, all sports, our entire environment needs to wake up to this cognitive diversity, this difference of thought, this alternative opinion like he brings so much more value to the game of football than just managing the club he's managing he he makes people look at the game in a different way yeah I, it was a real privilege just to speak to somebody that like you say has done the work in the shadows that's what we often talk about here how we respect those that have gone and learned the craft from the bottom up he's definitely done that and I don't think we've um, we've even seen a fraction of what his potential could be I'm excited for him and I hope he stays exactly the same yeah, me too. I think he will. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Well, I'd really love to know what you thought of this conversation with Will Steele. Please reach out on socials. Um, let us know what you think. I love hearing from you. It also really helps us if you can subscribe either here where you get your podcasts or on YouTube as well. Honestly, it's the single thing that you can do that doesn't take much time and supports this podcast the most so that we can continue to spread the learnings and the lessons from these incredible people. You know, most people that listen to High Performance don't subscribe to High Performance. And if you could do that for me, it would be a game changer for us. Listen, thank you so much for tuning in, for joining us today. Don't forget you can download the High Performance app for free. Just head to the App Store and use the code HPAPP. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious and empathetic. All of which I believe Will still has done. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you.